0: the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended, apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid, I feel
1: angry. Mm.
0: Welcome everyone to the USL show, and we have a special guest today. It's John Morrissey, also better known as USL Tactics on Twitter, and now YouTube, and now his website, which is what we're going to talk about today. John, how's it going?
1: I'm doing really well. So happy to be here talking about this stuff.
0: Yeah, me too. It's long overdue. Uh, We've been looking for the right time to kind of do this. So um, now's good. I don't know. You released the website, and in my opinion, uh, it hasn't gotten much attention. And even, you know, I've only gone on, on a few times. I haven't a lot of, had a lot of time to really dig deep into it. Uh, but as we were kind of talking and I was like, Hey, what am I missing? What else is on this website? There is a lot to consume there. And that's awesome and exciting. And I really want to make sure that everybody knows what opportunities they have on your website, because um, clearly they know that your talent is there, that your content is massive. Right. <laughs> um And so, you know, the website's there to kind of collect all that and make it even better. So let's start talking about that. Why don't you run us through the basics of um, why you started the website, I guess. We'll start there.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I have a tendency to post a lot. I have a lot of things I have my fingers in, whether it's the stats, the tactics, the uh, YouTube clips with the USL show. And so I sort of just wanted to collect everything somewhere and also practice with those um, web dev type of skills. I had actually done um, a blog post for the people over at Cue the Smoke, the indie site, um, and through that, explore Wix a little bit and thought, hey, you know what? Maybe this might be a good platform for me. So to start out, I developed the team-by-team style guide where... It essentially just goes blow by blow, all 31 sides. You get the radar profiling some of their stats, and that's points per game. So things like that, looking at team success, but also the stylistic points. So forward passing, uh, the passes per defensive action, looking at pressure. You get the sense of the formation. Um, I've included a key player or two for every team. And then I think the sort of centerpiece for all of them is this in a play where I try to uh, just take a seven or eight second clip of game action that shows off that team style in the most holistic way possible. Mm. So from there I did the um, tweet collection essentially, which is four or five of the breakdowns I've done for every single USL side. And again, just trying to flesh out getting that better sense of style. Like I think the end game is that you could go to um, the website And suss out, okay, here's how Atlanta United plays. Here's that with a little bit more depth. And now the next component that I've added just yesterday or the day before was the player stats where um, I've included some of the things that you wouldn't necessarily find just going on football reference or whatever, the calculated things that I've done with defensive actions, forward passing, XG per shot, goals of replacement, and so it's just building things layer by layer where i'm trying to put all that content that i put out there and i hope people get value from in one sort of centralized hub that you might find for any other league or sport
0: absolutely yeah and the thing my favorite thing is the um i forgot what you called it but like the team breakdown where you kind of give just like a almost like a primer for what a team looks like and i think the most simple use of that especially as podcasters if if, you know if you're on beautiful game network or you have a podcast of a team and you're playing another team i mean the first stop you should make is go to this team breakdown and be like who's my opponent this week what do they look like normally who should we watch out for a lot of times you'll bring in another podcaster to talk about those things but like john's got it on his website right there so if You're like me and you wait till the last minute to get a guest and you don't get one. (laughs) Um, To me, like that is such an amazing resource and it's freaking free. It's incredible. Um, There's so much cool stuff for uh, USL fans out there, not just podcasters, obviously. We're just the nerdiest ones, right?
1: Yeah, that is very true.
0: Um so I love that. I think that's really cool. Um anything else you want to say about the website? I'm sure we'll touch on it more throughout, but um we're going to move on to a lot of different things if you're open to to talk about yourself and and the USL itself.
1: No, yeah. I mean, the website is just going to be a thing that I keep iterating on, keep trying to improve. Um hopefully, I mean, the goalkeeper sets will be coming shortly. Um Team sets will be a little bit longer, but again, that'll be in the cards for sure. But Goals just the on the lookout. Yeah, uh, yeah, i I mean, That's if big. you think about the basic stuff that the league captures, I mean, that'll be easy enough to include. But I also have the uh, goal saved above average type of thing, mm. and the percentile rankings as well. So
0: I know that every year, if we do like uh, this is my best eleven of the league, the USL show will usually put something like that out, and a lot of times goalkeeper is the one where I'm like, man, this is so hard to judge just based on like three stats. Right. Because you're always looking at like save percentage, how many games they played, a few other things. Um, it's, re- and you know, how many clean sheets and then how much of that is because of your defense. And a lot of most of the time, that's a, bit, a big player in it, too. So those goal goalkeeper stats will be helpful. Not only that, but most people, I would say like nine out of ten people have no clue how to look at a goalkeeper and judge whether they're good myself included for sure.
1: Oh, no, I wouldn't count myself. I mean, that's half of the motivation is I really don't have the skill set to judge a good totally. goalkeeper.
0: Yeah. So I look forward to that. That's really cool. That's my whole point. I'm not trying to, to judge any of us or any listeners as well. That'll be fun. Right. Um, let's talk about your stats, right? Um, yeah. There's a few. I love you. You made the new graphics with all of the different colors and now you're even matching team graphics, which is fun. Um, but some of there's been questions, right? Some from me and some from other people online. And I think one question you get a lot of, and I definitely asked was goals above replacement. If you're an old baseball nerd, like I was, um, am a lot of other baseball nerds have become soccer nerds over the years. And so we know the war stat, right? Wins above replacement (laughs) for a player. Sounds like goals above replacement is kind of similar to that. Uh, Can you explain that stat?
1: Sure. So that's obviously when you think about that, I mean, baseball and war is the obvious comparison where you're trying to distill a player's impact into one baseline number. So my intent was take the two most basic things that a player can do on the field, which is score or assist, or in this case, record an expected goal or an expected assist to try to Mm -hmm. take it a step back get a little bit of the luck factor out as much as you can and then record a defensive action. So put in a tackle make an interception and distill that down into something that has an actual value towards a team's ultimate uh, goal difference. So I looked at team by team sums for expected goals and assists and defensive actions over the course of the 19, 20 and uh, 18, 19, or I might have the years wrong, but over the course of two seasons to try to just do a regression of what are the impact that these numbers have. And so I started off with that framework and you run into the problem of you're rewarding players who are out there very much doing active things, but think about someone like a Tyler Gibson, maybe who he's not going to score a ton. Most of his passes are sideways, just keeping the ball, keeping things ticking and even defensively, he relies so much more on just the most intelligent positioning you're ever going to see rather than putting in 100 tackles. And so I added the component where um, it's footballreference.com, actually, who has a player's sort of plus minus the goals that or the goal difference that their team puts up when that player is on the pitch.
0: Mm, nice one.
1: And so, yeah. And so you mm. take that you weight it relative to how good a team is. Obviously, a Tyler Gibson in Louisville is going to have a lot different results than someone who plays for, I don't know. Say um,
0: Indy 11.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Indy 11 this year. And so you weight it for the team performance. You do the sort of on-off difference. And uh, I added the component for that to really balance things out to a certain extent. And so, cumul- cumulatively, I've come up with the goals above replacement, which in no ways is a perfect measure of much of anything. But if you look at some of the leaders in it, it identifies your Sebastian Guanzadis, I mean, Omar So from New York Red Bulls is highly ranked with it. Uh, the aforementioned Gibson, think about Apollo uh, Akinode from Miami, who are guys that, across the board, you're getting different profiles with what they're doing by the numbers, but just the really three-pronged approach to how I've got the calculations set up has gotten a decent reflection of how things are going on on the pitch.
0: I love um, I love how statisticians talk about the the stats that they create, right? Because this goals above replacement is something you've created. Has is anyone else put out a goals above re- replacement stat or is it you?
1: There are versions of it that take a completely different approach than i did but exactly. yeah it's yeah pretty much my my thing
0: that's what that's my point is i love these stats where guys will put out a stat and they have a way of doing it and they point out why they want to put it together and how they put it together and um i loved what you just told us that's so cool the the, the things that you're trying to point out and 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 pull different data to get um to find value in someone that might not be appreciated fully i think tyler gibson for me is definitely one of those players where i'm like i watch him and it's hard unless i like really focus on him only throughout an entire game i'm really not going to notice his value i think And
1: most clearly. yeah you
0: know. another no, one is sure. another one is nicky law you, you go on and on about him and granted i yeah, watched a lot I of his, nicky law <laughs> i know you do i watched granted his early games where indy looked especially bad right um I don't know right. if they've gotten better. I haven't seen a recent game, but I had trouble being like, I don't see it. I'm sorry. Like I was big on Gordon Wild, right? But that's easier to see, right, because of his positioning. But maybe since we're on the topic, you know, what is his uh, GAR goals above replacement, and and how do you feel about or why do you like him? I guess
1: um, he's 60th. Percent. So I I will say I don't publish the specific uh, GAR number just because. I'm less confident as it as a a be-all, end-all, this player is worth X amount of goals. But percentile-wise, he does rate in the 60th percentile amongst USL midfielders. Which, given everything, given the way that there definitely have been moments where he's been less impactful, and I think it's um, a lot of it owes to the fit within the system and the way that he was employed, especially under Martin Rennie. Yeah, where he just wasn't as liberated to be that sort of really cerebral flowing all over the pitch in those attacking areas kind of guy. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so 60th percentile feels about right, obviously with, in my eyes, the potential to go a lot higher. But yeah.
0: Well, you also documented in one of your many Twitter videos about his new role, right? That he is a little bit more free to do those things. And so I imagine that percentage would be a little higher if he took out the games where he played that position, right? Mm -hmm. That's super cool. Another thing that stuck out out to me in um, your description there was taking the luck out of the stat. I find that super interesting. I imagine that's one of the big challenges of statistics in general.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a classic thing where if you think about the goals that someone scores, there is an innate amount of luck to it, where you, there definitely is a skill aspect and you can't deny that I'm not trying to deny that, but some days you're just off and that's not necessary or necessarily a reflection of you being a bad player. And I think that's why there's so much value in expected goals because It's been proven time and time again at the levels where people really have the statistics in a fleshed out, very uh, sound way with the data collection that teams regress to their performance based on what these numbers are saying. Hmm. And so by employing that, I think I'm giving a little bit more of an honest look at player by player performance, even if my measure of expected goals is somewhat less precise than what you would expect from a Premier League team or what have you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I find it super interesting. I think a good way to kind of guess how much luck or error might be in a particular season is you might just want to come out to when I play indoor and calculate how many goals I score over, over the course of a season, and that's probably the amount of luck an average player has in a season. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh man.
0: I'm terrible. I'm really bad, but I like to play. So I'm, I look, I'm lucky enough to find a, a team that's willing to, to accept that. <laughs> well, that's the fun of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, any other stats you want to talk about? There's so many. I I'm, and we got plenty of time, so.
1: Yeah. Let me uh over to the site just to see what I've thrown up.
0: I often look at your forward passing as one of mine. I know that's not anything special, but yeah. I like to look at that, especially for like defenders and midfielders.
1: Sure. Well, um, USL puts out the number of total passes a player has played um, as well as the number of passes that go forward. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking about the way that a player progresses, what their team is doing, I think that's as good a measure as any, certainly where someone who plays a lot of forward passes necessarily is doing something really beneficial to the attack of their side
0: Mm -hmm. And I think
1: it's an important thing to be aware of when you're trying to uh, analyze what a player does. And it's less of a performance thing a lot of the time, so much so as it uh, projects or reflects on stylistic factors. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So someone isn't lesser because they play less forward passes. But if you think about like, just looking at the leaders in it right now. Um, Let's take somebody. So like Sam Gleadle with San Antonio is in the 98th percentile for um, forward passing. He's someone who within that system on that team in his sort of fullback role is just going to be playing a lot of balls that try to progress play, try to, Get that front line attack with Gallegos and whatnot involved in the game. Whereas if you go completely the other way and look at someone who uh, plays very few forward passes, let's see. Sure, think about um, Josh Yaro with uh, San Diego Loyal, who mm. he gets in almost every game for that side. But his job isn't to be the passer who's progressing play, activating teammates. He's a really good defender, but he's someone who's just going to knock it short to Charlie Adams when he drops deep, someone who really has that passing talent. And so, yeah, it's great if you do have a high rate of forward passes, but you have to be intelligent, much as any other statistic when you're looking at that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, totally. I, I think it was AJ Cochran. I follow him closely, so this is not, you know, I'm biased, right? But I follow sure. AJ, and I saw one year with um, Phoenix. um, He was in the top leaderboard for the most passes from for a center back, but he was also really high for center backs in forward passes, and I thought that was a good thing. I mean, I know they lump it forward quite a bit too, but still. Um, it was that moment where I was like, okay, this is an important stat when used correctly, as I think you laid out very nicely.
1: Absolutely. I think it certainly is a clue for, I mean, you could look at Misha Jerome probably has a super high one for El Paso, if I were just to guess. Nice. And because of that, you can read into the fact that, yeah, he's a good passer relative to other central defenders in the USL. And there's certainly value to be gained, but much as with any other thing, it can be a fool's errand to just read off of one number and assume much of anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although you could probably, if that was true for that certain player, you could probably read, you know, El Paso has a very pass heavy system. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. In some ways it works. Okay, cool. Um, any other stats you want to touch on before we go on?
1: Um, hmm, I'm trying to think if there's any areas where people tend to get confused. I would just say key passes is the thing I reference a lot. That's literally just a pass that leads to a shot. Mm. I don't know if I don't know if people know that, but that's just a thing that I think it's important to note.
0: I think so as a someone who doesn't pay enough attention to stats, I think when I see a key pass, I actually think not only is it a shot result from it, but like it has a good shot, a good chance of going in. And that's not necessarily true. I think that's right. I, I, yeah.
1: I tend to think that same thing. And I yeah. think it's just an important myth to dispel.
0: Great. Another one that I asked you about, or no, I didn't, but I saw, I think I asked you off air actually. Um, I was like, so these are percentages. What is that percentage of everyone asks this, right? I've seen it multiple times right. asked of you. And so that is, what percentage of that score that they are within the USL, correct?
1: Yes. So um, we'll just use XG as an easy example where, um, so let's take, for instance, um, trying to find a good one. Jose Gajos who is in the 80th percentile for XG amongst USL midfielders. What that means is not that he's getting 0.8 XG in every single game he plays. That means that he gets more expected goals than 80% of midfielders in the USL. Think about now, let's say... uh, Let's take key passes. Mm -hmm. Let's say that Nicky Law is in the fiftieth percentile for key passes that would put him as um, may having made keep more key passes than half of the players in the United Soccer League. Mm-hmm. It's not so much of a percentage thing that people try to read into it. And where that especially gets confusing is things that are a percentage. So I know I include um, tackle win percent as a stat on a lot of my graphics where your gut instinct might be there's no way that he wins 98% of his tackles. (laughs) Yeah. That's not what I'm trying to say out there.
0: Yeah. You're saying that if there were exactly 100 tacklers in the USL, he's the 98th or he's the third best. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Uh, So that's hopefully that's clear. Uh, That's a really important thing to realize when you're looking at uh, John's stats on a regular basis and videos rather. Um, cool. Anything else? I kind of want to move on to USL, uh, chat if you're up for it.
1: Yeah, go for it.
0: Cool. All right. So you might want to pull up USL. You probably know this. You might need to pull it up. I always have to pull up the uh, standing so that I can look at all the teams in each conference. I'd kind of like to talk about the classic thing, which is who do you see winning each, um, little conference, um, within the East and West. Uh, so we'll start with that, but maybe we can talk about, um, I love my favorite thing to talk about in soccer is like underappreciated teams or players. And so be thinking about all of those things. Um, We'll be hitting all of those three things. And maybe we can hit something else of your choosing after that. But let's start with USL Championship Western Conference Pacific. Um, You're a little biased here because of where you live, right? Or used to live, I should say. We'll talk about that soon, too. But Phoenix Rising is at the top right now by far.
1: Yeah. And I would be shocked if it didn't stay that way. Yeah, they are really, really good. Uh But if you do think about the standings, um, well, I think of the storyline right now in the Pacific is Orange County, where Mm -hmm. I was surprised at the firing that uh, went on there.
0: Me too. It really felt like it came out of nowhere and props, maybe props to comms for keeping it hush hush, I guess. But um, yeah, that is a big storyline. And I think on top of that, Orange County, San Diego Loyal, Sacramento Republic, you know, there's a lot of quality in these teams, but um, a lot of like faltering, you know, more like excessive faltering based on their quality, which is interesting. I don't know if you have a statistic thought about those kind of things.
1: I think, well, Sacramento for me, if you think about some of the things that happened in the off season with them, there were two losses of players that really stick out. Um, especially when you think about the things that they're doing with their current teams. And that's Rodrigo Lopez with RGV and Vilian Biev in Oklahoma City, who are two of the absolute darlings that I tweet about way too much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um Me too though, so I like
1: it. <laughs> just losing those guys has been big, and I think they really lacked a sense of identity for better or worse, mm. and they've struggled. But at the same time, within that division. I don't want to undersell the quality of the teams that have been putting in those consistent performances. Like Phoenix is a juggernaut. Yeah. San Diego started slowly. They really got comfortable with the system that Donovan wants to play, and they've been great. Tacoma is one of the absolute best sides to watch in all of USL. Like, they're a total blast. They've got this 3 4 3 going. They press like nobody's business. They attack with speed. It's deserved that they're ahead of L.A. and Sacramento. Yeah. Think about the way Oakland has played recently, too, with just so much improvement, guys like AmeriCorps. So yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a mess compared to where I thought things might shake out, but it's been a total blast to watch at the same time.
0: Yeah, I like Tacoma because, um, if, you know, if if you were to build – a group of young players that have obviously a lot of athleticism and some flash at times, you build a team like Tacoma, right? That's the system you play and it's perfect for them. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They it got works, the balance with, it yeah, works with
0: So well that it worked in MLS. I'm so sorry to cut you off, but we got to talk oh, about yeah. that game where they all went up to MLS and, and did some business.
1: I mean, you absolutely love to see it. Some, I mean, the young guys that they have, one of the unsung heroes of that team though who i included or mentioned as like an honorable mention one day i did one of those um, like best 11 type things mm-hmm. is uh taylor muller in the back line who went from like a center back center back a very defensive minded player to somebody who's kind of just going to maraud up the pitch with the ball <laughs> if he feels like it and get up past the halfway line and like do a neville hackshaw impression
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) That that sort of
1: thing is just so much fun to see with this team. Yeah. where It never gets boring for me watching
0: a Tacoma game. That's my favorite moment in any three-back system is when one of them goes rogue. (laughs) Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: (laughs) Good stuff. All right, so let's talk about the Western Conference, the Mountain Division. Um, El Paso has been solid most of the year, which isn't usually the case, right? Usually they have a weak spot, and they've been really good this year. It's been cool to see that system come fully together.
1: It finally feels like they're almost on autopilot with how everything works out. They've got <laughs> that they, they've always had that starting 11 that come playoff time, they'll challenge anybody. Mm-hmm. But this team feels deeper than it was. I mean, Diego Luna coming out of nowhere has to be, <laughs> alongside the things going on in Colorado Springs, uh, one of the biggest headlines out of that division. But then Sebastian Velasquez, like, um, maybe they'll just throw him on for a match or two.
0: <laughs> right, like, that's ridiculous.
1: It is. This is a really talented side.
0: <laughs> yeah, like for for Luna to come in and it's challenging because they've shifted their veterans because he's been good enough to play in his position. Is it Morez or I always get his yes, name wrong? Yes,
1: exactly. Dylan Mayers. Is, is how Mayer's, I. theres. thank
0: it. you um yeah like he was he was normally kind of the 10 right and we've got mm-hmm. luna playing that position vasquez has been pushed to a, a somewhat of a striker position it's really cool to see him not on seat but shift other players because he's got the quality at the age of 18 correct
1: yeah i think so i mean he's such a gifted player that I, he won't be long for usl no. i mean the things he does dribbling the vision and confidence that he has as a passer is really impressive. You can knock the defensive impact a little bit compared to, especially something that mayors who's more familiar with their pressing system might provide. But I mean, he's just been delightful for someone his age.
0: Agree. Agree. Now you mentioned Colorado Springs currently in second place. Yeah. I mean, what a wild team, right?
1: There I in the same way that Tacoma is a blast to watch. Like, Colorado Springs is almost must-watch soccer at this point. The the attack is ridiculous. Haji Berry has to be up there in the MVP conversation. And I think you can look at him and see the goals and think that's what he's doing. He's just a poacher. He totally involves himself in build-up. He gets deep in a way that reminds me, for any Premier League fans, of uh, what Harry Kane was doing last season. That whole... Kane, son, Kane drops to midfield and just blasts a long ball to Sun is, I mean, essentially blow for blow. What we are getting with Barry and, uh, and Galena. Mm. they're just a dynamite team. They uh, sign players really intelligently in terms of filling out that back line. If you think about Oxford, they've got Anderson. Mm-hmm. It's a well-constructed, well-drilled team. Maybe they lack a little bit of tactical variation and maybe that'll bite them at the end of the day. Hmm. I wouldn't bet against this side right now to sail into the playoffs, though.
0: Yeah. I mean, scoring goals like you wouldn't believe. Of course, it's fun to watch. And what's cool is they felt like one of those dying teams when the championship kind of grew and became next level in the last few years. You know, it it was like, yes, is Colorado Springs going to make it? Are the Tulsa Roughnecks going to make it? Um, And now you see a new owner in Tulsa, but you see just money pouring in, smart signings, new stadium, new stadium coming in Tulsa too. So we might see that pretty soon as well. But um, they have great um, attendance in Colorado. It is so cool. See it all work, not just like, "Hey, we put together a good team," but still no one's seeing it. Oh my gosh, what an awesome thing going on in Colorado right now!
1: Yeah, just the whole package. It's—I mean, yeah. you said it yourself. It's really awesome to see.
0: Yeah, good. Uh, good coaching hire didn't hurt uh, the sporting side for sure. So he's very awesome. smart. Yeah, um, I'd say the other two. Before we move on, we got to talk about San Antonio clawing back RGV falling back a little bit, but they've been such a surprise um, in quality and style of play. It's been really fun to watch both those teams as well.
1: Yeah, San Antonio had the COVID issues recently. They've been excellent since they've got back to consistent action. Um, yeah. They've flushed out that back line a little bit, really activated guys like Epps up front. I mean, they've had a ton of injury, uh, bad luck with injuries this season that they're getting around. But I mean, at the same time, I think RGV, the something of a collapse that they've undergone has been disappointing to see just given how quickly they came out of the gates with all sorts of new players. And that's an organization historically that I tend not to trust in terms of putting together a winning Uh, side. And so with that start to the year, I was hoping they would keep things up. I do think another thing to watch over in that part of the league would be New Mexico. Oh, yeah. Yeah, outside looking in with the playoffs, but certainly within striking distance. And if, gun to my head, I had to pick one of the teams to slide into that last spot in the mountain, I would probably be taking New Mexico. Yeah. They just brought back uh, Chris Weehan. That's right. He has looked very, very impressive in that front three. I mean, he knows the system well, so...
0: Yeah, I'm looking – when I look up to the top right, I'm trying to find my bearings here in the uh, standings. And so San Antonio at 30 points, Toros at 29, New Mexico at 25. But well within striking distance, like you said. So um, very cool. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a cool one. Um, let's move to the Eastern Conference Central. Right now, Louisville City edging out Birmingham 40 points to 39 points. Tulsa not too far behind. Um uh, we'll stop there for now. Let's talk about the top 2, Louisville City and Birmingham. Both really quality rosters, right? Uh, both know mm-hmm. how to play good soccer at times. So, what do you think about them?
1: My vibe with Louisville this whole season has been just a really strong feeling that they're coasting. That they kind of throw out a slightly changed 11 every single week. Yes. <laughs> I mean, agree. <laughs> Like, you watch them and they're trying. And they're, <laughs> they have a really good system and they just, they don't need to put out their best 11 players or the full amount of 90-minute effort to kind of just smash teams.
0: Yeah, And I think
1: they're kind of, which this is going to sound ridiculous, but they're almost being underrated. There might be something of a dark horse when you think about the real title contenders. But at the same time, I think, Birmingham is a complete 180 where they're just a bunch of grinders. Like the Mikey Lopez's of the world who go out there, hustle for 90 minutes. They've experimented with systems. They claw out these games. They're really good at the same time. if Mm -hmm. The talent that that team has and the additions they've made. I mean, Fleming's in the offseason. I uh, mean, Kaizil in the middle of the year, Nico Brett has been revelatory. If there was, a, there isn't a USL most improved, I don't think, but it would be Anderson Asiadu for me. He's been just utterly spectacular in the midfield for that side. But yeah. I mean, there's so much fun. And the move to the back three has been the big thing for them as well.
0: Yeah. I saw, uh, is it Kaler? What's, what's the guy that does the back line? Or not back. Oh, Taylor Hodges. Yeah. yeah.
1: That uh, hammering down.
0: Hammering down. Gosh, I read that that terrible thread yesterday. Um, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So that's why right. I said uh, back line. But he's said, and I think it's very, I know he's biased, but I'm not. Um, I think it's very <laughs> arguable that it's maybe the best back three in the entire USL. That's saying a lot. It's very arguable, but I think it's possible. They're good. <laughs> it,
1: it's up there for sure. I mean mentioned New Mexico can compete. I want to see what San Antonio does to sort of settle down a bit into their system. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you just look at the, the depth of that defense, they're up there with pretty much anybody.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's talk about the teams below them. FC Tulsa, hot and cold, right? And I think it seems yes. like international call-ups really destroy this team. And they've had to like, shift their plan multiple times this season for sure and so it's been a weird year for Tulsa and perhaps the hot and cold is explained by that perhaps not though I don't know what do you think
1: Tulsa is another team where I can almost be a little bit too dismissive and I recognize that in myself Mm -hmm. where if you've got the full complement of players Rivas and Corrales aren't gone on international duty that's a very talented team systematically i think they're a little bit vulnerable in that midfield i think they lack a really pure striker that i have confidence in in the way that cameron lancaster or nico brad at the top of that division provide Mm -hmm. for their teams at the same time they're a playoff lock to me they're a real step above just in terms of talent compared to the bottom five in this division I don't know if they excite me but they're they're certainly fun to watch but i don't think they're destined for huge things this season add a couple pieces for next year and we'll see what gives but
0: yeah agree yeah and and they kind of just started fixing the problems last year right and i would say if they're trying to fix things starting last year There's still some hangovers to that, plus all the problems they've had. That's one team that I think next year I'll be looking forward to maybe solidifying that midfield a little bit because I think they've discovered, I agree with you, they've discovered some problems. Boy, the rest of that list is not too exciting. Not that they don't have good players, not that they've not improved. OKC Energy, Indy 11, I think, are the two that I think about improving at least throughout the year.
1: I will push back on the exciting only on OKC. Who I think enough. is pretty delightful. And it's another one where they started slowly. They had the managerial firing, but I almost found it premature. And I know just based on the rhetoric, I'd seen OKC fans very much disagreed with that. No. But um, bleeding in some of this new talent, it's really paid off for them where I've got a post coming in the next couple of days about how much that back line adds to them. And uh, when you were mentioning the thing about the back three, I was remiss to not mention the Conor Donovan, Mitchell Osmond, and now Lamar Batista triad, who is just as solid as they come at the back. And it's really a group of players that they have built on at the core in implementing this 3-4-3 system that is new to OKC, but gives them so much dynamic energy with the wide forwards it really maximizes um players like kuramoto in the middle who historically i've been less than uh, fond of in terms of their games oh really i yeah he's he's a loved first. he's a player where i didn't get it watching him at first mm-hmm. and i think within the confines of this system having that very clearly defined partner, but also the support from the wider center backs. It sort of unleashed him to play that more cerebral game where I think he maybe lacked athletically in a way that uh-huh. didn't fit well in other roles, but yeah, he's again been a player who's really blown up for me this year. And that's just a fun team. I mean, I mentioned Miev earlier, but he has to be in the best 11 conversation to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. i, I- I'm big on him as well. I think I said that as well earlier. Um, so OKC Energy, I would actually say of all the teams we've talked about so far, they're definitely the the most underappreciated team that we've talked about. I, at least personally, I don't pay nearly enough attention to that team. So,
1: and they've got, I mean, they've got games in hand on Indy right now. Mm. And Indy is talented, but OKC for me is going to be the side that makes it out alive from that bottom five in terms of sliding into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I see it. I see it. OK, let's move on to the Eastern Conference at Atlantic Pittsburgh Riverhounds and Tampa Bay Rowdies at the top. Miami not too far behind, but I think of those two first teams as just being like powerhouses. Like how do you choose which team is going to win this one, right?
1: It's tough. I mean, I will say I'm biased towards Tampa a little bit just given some of the intern work I've done for them. They're really good. And that's another team where there have been some injuries. There have been some just challenges internally where they've come off uh, off as coasting a little bit, not to the extent nearly that I get that vibe from Louisville. Yeah. But um, Tampa, player for player, mm-hmm. has as much talent as anyone. And I'm now realizing this is the back three that you give me, any in the entire yeah. league. I'm taking that Tampa tree
0: out. I don't know how we didn't think of that. I think I'm with you on that. I think they're my number one, yeah.
1: But um, I just did the post on Pittsburgh, the video, which go check out USL show, YouTube. Where, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but they like rolled out a 3-6-1 against Atlanta. Yeah, it was a cool one. Uh, yeah, it's the sort of thing where you just kind of say like, ah, Bob <laughs> Lilly at it again. And then, but then last night they're in a much more defensive minded fourth back sort of system. Mm-hmm kind of just clamping things down against this young, spunky, but objectively bad New York Red Bulls team. Mm -hmm. He has a way of, Lily, that is, formulating exactly what the group of players needs to be doing to do exactly enough to win a game, to shut the opponent down. And they are so much fun. Uh, Alex Dixon is the guy for me who's really been the star of the show he can play anywhere he's been a back. he's been a striker he's played in the central midfield he is really a jack of all trades and he's delightful to watch
0: yeah when he went to there are t- there are players where you're like bob Lilly brings him in and you know dixon's been good everywhere he's played uh, he just hasn't always landed on the best teams but you look at him and bob Lilly's like yeah i want that guy you're like yeah course you want that guy he's a bob Lilly player right like Dixon fits that profile perfectly
1: absolutely
0: yeah um so yeah when he went in there he didn't i don't think he was hot right off the bat and i was like no don't worry (laughs) they'll be fine with him for sure right
1: the thing with uh, pittsburgh they signed josh gatt who uh we mentioned the (laughs) national team
0: yeah i expected a lot out of him and he's maybe played like three games when he moved him to wing back a lot, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. He's just like a vertical threat. He's just throwing them out on the right to try to wear out the other team. That's what it felt like. It's really, I mean, it's sad to see. You wish the best, but no, definitely. It is.
1: And then just uh, looking deeper down there, Miami's a team to watch as we get to the playoffs. I don't have any huge thoughts on them, but when you take – Speedy Williams, Christiana Francois, Paco Craig, Billy Forbes is playing insane soccer right now. Mm. I've done posts about pretty much every midfielder that they own. That team is really, really talented, and they're finding a groove in a way that's scary. Charlotte is one of the most interesting teams for me. In terms of the Premier League guys they've added, they're finally getting a healthy Enzo. Jake Ehrman is awesome, but I mean, Dane Kelly is a stalwart. Mm. There's a ton of pieces there. And it just doesn't feel like they're getting the results that I almost feel they deserve. Mm. But at the same time, you look at who's around them in the standings. And if they miss out to Charleston or Hartford in the playoff race, that makes sense, too. Because both of those teams are respectively either really well drilled or have that top-end talent. You think about your Zico Lewis's, Gabriel Torres's of the world.
0: Yeah. And you took the words right out of my mouth on all of that. Um, Charlotte, I don't know. First of all, I wanted to ask you about Dane Kelly. I I saw um, often Mob is wrong, so I don't know if it's true, but has he been playing a more removed role lately or is he pretty much an out-and-out striker every game?
1: So the way that their front three kind of operates... There's a little bit of fluidity, especially when Urban Para is up there with him, yeah. where they're going to interchange a lot, and you will see a bit more of Winger Dane Kelly, but by and large, he's still Dane Kellying it doing out Dane there, Kelly and, stuff. Yeah, yeah, doing Dane Kelly stuff every <laughs> single week. Just numerically, if I met, yeah, he's 96 uh, percentile for expected goals per 90, Woo! yep, 80th percentile conversion rate. Um, late coming into the season so you're not going to see him on the leaderboards as much necessarily by the conventional sorts of numbers Mm -hmm. but Dane Kelly doing Dane Kelly things
0: absolutely that's good stuff Um, you did a Kyle Murphy piece with Memphis 901 I know that was we just talked about that division but um, you know, Memphis, I see they're low, but man, they have their flashes where they look so fun and they're a really fun attacking team, especially. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of really good pieces, like underappreciated uh, players, I think, on that team.
1: No, definitely. I mean, I talked a lot about the effort that Murphy puts in, the cerebral reruns that he makes. Um, I I don't know if it was a video or a tweet thread on Laurent, uh, do and I'm pronouncing the name wrong, who is really dynamic. Dre Fortune is one of my mm. historically favorite players to watch in USL and back to the NASL days. There's just something about that team where they kind of roll out a 4-4-2 every week. They're doing nothing exciting. And they've got some of those bits of dynamite to them. But by and large, they're a little bit boring. And I think if anyone watched that OKC game this week, you kind of saw them have a man advantage for 60, 70 minutes and not score a goal, which partly is that amazing OKC back three, but at the same time is the fact that Memphis kind of boxes themselves in tactically in a way that's fairly easy to game plan for and figure out.
0: Uh, gotcha. Good Good to know. Again, yeah, that's another team I don't watch enough of. So, um, But f- finishing off the Atlantic, um, I also thought after watching Hartford Athletic in the first several weeks that they would be in the top of that conference. They're like third or fourth, right, Uh, pretty well through the entire season. I was very wrong. Miami has very much displaced them easily. Um, What's your feeling on Hartford Athletic? I I guess my vibe, last thing I'll say is that I almost feel like it's an RGV vibe. After I watched three or four weeks of RGV, three or four weeks of Hartford Hartford Athletic, they're like grinding, well-drilled doing really well and they've fallen off. I don't know if you see that comp at all either, but that's what I was thinking. No, I think
1: that's really apt. I've all season kind of tended to zig when Hartford zags, where I was doubting them early in the year when they were putting up those good performances. And then in recent weeks when the form has gone away, I tend to be more of a believer in them. Mm-hmm. There, it's an, For me, it's the sort of proposition where if you're measuring them against those two other sides, the Charleston and the Charlotte, thinking about that last playoff spot, I think Hartford is maybe the most talented of those three teams, gun to my head. Mm. And I think that they've got players who are just absolute game changers. Uh, Thomas Genjijian at the back is ridiculously good as a defender and equally so, uh, to get back to the forward pass thing. I think he's an excellent creator in the back line. Danny Barrera is dynamic, explosive. He can go out there and single-handedly win you a game. They've been missing Gabriel Torres for a lot of the year, but um, he's finally back in action. And with the emergence of Yonis uh, Bodati, sort of at that his traditional left back spot, they've been playing Torres a bit higher up the pitch, which I'm interested to see how things go there. They lack that real striker presence for me, and I think they can be too long ball route one centric at times, which is something yeah. to watch with them always. But <sighs> I just have this feeling that they're going to figure it out, which is, like I said, a one hundred and eighty from where I was on them earlier in the season. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Um, I think we need to kind of push on because there's a lot more I wanted to talk about, but that was a whole lot of fun. It took longer because I kept wanting to ask you questions and (laughs) didn't want it to end, but I I need to do it. Um, Let's talk about you because you mentioned your internship with Tampa Bay Rowdies. Let's go all the way back though. Like what got you into statistics and or soccer and or why the USL, right? I am so in love that you chose uh, the USL, but why, you know?
1: Yeah, so just on the stats side of things, and I think the two questions will sort of marry through this. um, It was loving baseball, loving basketball, and seeing the vast resources that were out there and more in the basketball case being actively developed Mm. and not having that alternative within soccer. But again, watching that fledgling space sort of develop, like things like stats bomb, At the same time with the tactical side of things which was much more robust and the whole idea of unifying the two threads always interested me with the things i was reading and trying to consume to understand more about the sport so i never really played growing up and i didn't get into it much at all until maybe 2010 and 2014 in earnest and that was through tottenham um, but luckily, at the same time, the Indie 11 were coming about in the NASL. And as someone who grew up first 18 years of my life in indie, hmm. it was a natural fit. And I went pretty all in with the fandom on that end. So when Indie 11 made them, and I was involved with the online communities with indie, um, I was active on the NASL subreddit. Um, awesome. I'm still a moderator on the Indie 11 subreddit. <laughs> but. Um, So that team makes the move over to USL and suddenly the world is my oyster in terms of here's 30 teams that have next to no coverage in terms of the tactics, the stats, here's a field that I'm interested in. Why don't I try my hand at this? Especially given in a completely separate sense, career wise, that's the direction I was leaning towards was that data analytics based sort of thing. So what better practice than to develop a model of goals above replacement and uh, try to put out data viz for players.
0: I love it. I am so glad you decided to to do that. A lot of guys are in the USL right now, though, for that very reason, you know, like there's a gap, there's a massive gap in coverage in the USL and the league is getting far too good for that to be the case for much longer to be so um, you know, I think I'm really glad you you chose to spend your time here and you've been rewarded, right? Let's talk about this Tampa Bay Rowdies internship. I assume you're still doing it, but maybe you're not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah just so so is, just
1: for the course of the season. Yeah.
0: So tell me about it. Like how did it come come about and and what do you do?
1: So at some point late last year and it may have been around playoff time. Um, I had tweeted a pretty darn long thread about uh, what Tampa was doing and why they had been so successful as they sort of marched towards that Eastern Conference title run. And um, I happened to at Neil Collins in one of the tweets, as I'm <laughs> yes. to do. And he totally, in response, like slid into my DMs and uh, was complimenting me over the stuff I was putting out, saying That's that amazing. he found it really impressive. So off season goes by, I keep doing my thing and um, it's a week or two before the year starts. And here again, Neil Collins in the DMs saying, Hey, would you have interest in doing this sort of support role where you're taking a look at what our opponents are doing uh, every single week and coming up with something of a stats grounded scouting report. And so That's sort of the task for me about a week before each upcoming Tampa match. I'll shoot over a PowerPoint deck with some numbers, some video analysis that I've done on those upcoming opponents.
0: That is so cool, man. It's so cool. So, uh, first of all, uh, Neil Collins, good thing it was DMs, you know, like you did, there was no accent or language barrier there. That's nice.
1: <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, the, Scot- the Scottish Brew can be a little bit much, I suppose, at times, but <laughs> his,
0: isn't, his isn't too bad at all, actually. But, um, no. the uh, I love that they saw that you were work, working, doing good work. And I love also that you kind of complimented them and they were like, Hey, we like this guy.
1: (laughs) Right. Right.
0: Well, with Tampa, it's hard not to compliment them the way they play. Completely agree. It is such a cool team. Like what a great first job is to work for the Rowdies to do some, some statistical work for them on a weekly basis. That's awesome. Oh yeah. It's
1: been fantastic. I, I will say it's my favorite thing when I get an interaction with, players and teams Mm -hmm. just because if you had told me a year and a half ago that here's neil collins sliding into your dms like oh quincy americo retweeted you this week
0: yeah
1: it's it's kind of mind-blowing to me every single time
0: it's my favorite thing is i get a taste of it right i put out your your videos and then i you know Ameriqua definitely has been heavy but like other guys will just like retweet it or like it a lot like players that you really respect
1: you mentioned the kyle murphy thing like he's gone back and liked a bunch of posts that i've put out now like it's super funny to see
0: yeah and that's why like i run into guys like you or um dan egner who are just like willing and to talk and chat and and put out like good content like Gosh, I just wish I could shake every USL fan and be like, if you haven't spent a day going down the rabbit trail that is USL tactics, you've done something wrong. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I really, truly believe that if anyone takes one look at your website, they're just going to really love it on a regular basis and spend a lot of time uh, looking at it and enjoying themselves, learning more about the USL, the league that I love and you love. So, yeah, I hope everyone is willing to do that and give it a shot.
1: Yeah, I would definitely endorse that message. At the same time, check out the USL show. I mean, the content that you put out, the interviews that you do, the discussions that go on, it's unique within this space. There isn't someone who is putting out that kind of stuff in this medium for the USL. And I think it's invaluable.
0: Thanks, man. It's it's awkward taking uh, compliments over video chat. That's my first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here. I Don't know what to say. <laughs> um, but we both just put each other in those positions, so that's fun. Um, great. Yeah, it's been an honor to have you on. Let's before we go. I got two things actually. So now we talked about a move recently. We are uh, you're coming to us live from New York City, and you normally okay. live in Phoenix, right? a uh, transplant from Indianapolis. So you've, you're you like a Midwest boy, you're like a Western desert boy, and now you're like a New York City kid. Uh, why, what's going on? I know you're going to NYU and I assume you're going to school for statistics of some sort, but tell me about it.
1: So yeah, first 18 years of my life, Indianapolis, couldn't love it more, <laughs> one of my favorite places. And then um, I transitioned over to NYU um, coming out of high school. At the same time, the immediate family was getting a little bit concerned about our grandparents who lived in Phoenix, just getting up there in age, having some health problems. So I'm off to college, and then the family moves out to Phoenix at the same time. Well, a year and a half later, global pandemic, and suddenly I'm a Phoenician as well. <laughs> so I will crazy. say, Phoenix has been, Phoenix was just completely amazing. The ability, 365 days a year to be out in the sun doing things outdoors mm. was an absolute blessing for my sanity in it's terms awesome. of, yeah, the pandemic. Yeah. And it's something that uh, given the storms that we've had in New York the past couple of days, I've missed the <laughs> ability to just go out and hike up a mountain, be outside in consistently sunny weather. But at the same time, like everything you can do in New York is just a treat.
0: It's incredible. Yeah. So I spent one year in in New York. And so it's one of the best years of my life. But, you know, right around January, when you're walking a mile or two to class, you're going to really be wishing you were in Phoenix. Oh, yeah.
1: That's (laughs) no 100% right. And I totally skirted the uh, academic question a bit. But um, I'm actually in the business school at NYU doing finance with a sort of secondary concentration in the stats stuff and the data analysis at the same time, doing a double major in history, just as uh, I'm in college, I should take advantage of the ability to learn about things I really enjoy. For you. And then um, I spent the summer interning with uh, Deloitte out of 30 Rock, and luckily I got a full-time offer with them. So,
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so this is your final year, correct? And now you have a yes. job already?
1: And I've got yeah job lined up, so oh my an gosh. easy senior year coming up for me.
0: Yeah, right. You already got the. I mean, you might as well just stop doing school, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought about it. <laughs> I, bet, I bet it's come across your mind. So Deloitte, what do they do? I don't know anything about
1: them. Um, they do a little bit of everything, just a huge consultancy. And so internship wise, I was um, doing financial regulatory compliance and some of mm-hmm. the more cody data usage things within that space. And weirdly, like, I can't get into it because of NDAs, which is another thing where, like, oh yeah, it's between, like, getting retweeted by former MLS All-Stars and, like, saying I can't mention something because of a legal contract. Like, my (laughs) ability
0: to brag with absurd things has gone up (laughs) exponentially in the past six to eight months. That's awesome. I like it. Um, well, congratulations, man. I, that's the first I've heard about your your new job. That's amazing. Um, I hope the USL work keeps coming your way if you're willing to double up on that kind of thing.
1: Oh, absolutely. Nice. Yeah, the
0: athletic hit me up. That's amazing. That's a good <laughs> no, sign. I per- yeah, oh, no, I wish the athletic would hit right. me up. Right. Yeah, me too. They'd be smart to do something like that. Um, did you see I wasn't at all surprised? I I, see, I could very well see it happening. So yeah, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome man well John of course we, we love all you, the work you do um, USL fans he is as sweet and nice a human being as he sounds um, so everyone give John your support and uh, I'm going to try to get some more content out there I've been on a, on a bit of a, a week a uh, couple of weeks but um, I've got some things lined up and things are going to be good in the future so check back with the USL show as well thanks John yeah thank you for having me yeah. Mm-hmm.